I'm going to uh, read the Bible as we go through our talk today, so there won't be a Bible reading up front, and uh, we'll just dive straight into this passage. It's a fun tech morning this morning. There's a couple of things happening, and I'm just amazed at Hannah. She, we normally have two or three people doing the job she's doing, and she's going like this with both hands, with the slides, with the sound, with the video that cut out, because it was all linked up to Andrew's phone, and Andrew took his child down to the kids' thing. So, Hannah, I commend you. And you can have a cup of tea later and just be able to be very calm. Which leads me to say, if there's anyone else who likes doing tech stuff, this is a great training ground. And you can work with Hannah anytime. We need more volunteers. If you'd like to learn tech, please come Yeah, yeah, it's a training time too. So thank you, Hannah, for what you're doing this morning. And we all understand. We've been there in one form of life or other. Uh, now, this passage we're looking at is quite a... Quite a uh, major development in the story of Jesus. We've been working through Mark's Gospel and our overarching theme for this year is the story and way of Jesus. And so we're trying to understand who he is. We're trying to understand the, the original account out of Mark's Gospel. And uh, this, is a, this is a strange passage in a way, given we've got the dedication, you know, babies. Don't we love, I love babies. And you just feel good, don't you? It's very hard not to look at a baby and smile. You know, it, it's one of those just instant reactions. And uh, yet this is a very heavy passage in some ways. And, uh, but it does tie in very intentionally because it, it just happens to be the passage we were looking at. But, but dedication to the Lord is about following Jesus, understanding his story. And so as we come to this quite profound section within the Gospel of Mark, it will be helpful for us to keep the cuteness of kids and the depth of reality of life and Jesus, keep those two things in conversation. I've entitled it this morning, for the third time, I am going to die. This is what Jesus says. There are three times he predicts his death. As he, he moves through his life and ministry, he's gathered so many people around him. A core group, we call the disciples, or other places, the apostles. Uh, but then there's, there's literally thousands of other followers at different times, people hanging out with him, learning from him. And uh, this passage is the third time we see in the gospel that he says, I really am going to die. And they can't cope very well with this concept. They are having trouble processing it. Uh, I've done a lot of, over the years, uh, pastoral care for people where they've had the news about their impending death and the question, when's it going to happen? And the doctor will give some scope of months, weeks or months. You know, I think back to my own dad's death where he was told a few weeks or a few months and six weeks later he had died. Uh, th this is the way it happens in a kind of a medical setting, and it's a trauma for most of us. Uh, when these things happen either to ourselves personally, as we perhaps somebody's going through that, or we can understand from a close relative, a close friend. And for the people around them, the thought of an impending death is a trauma. It's, and people cope in different ways and have all sorts of difficulties. Some people just don't want to face it. They want to talk about it. They just want to pretend it's not going to happen. They, they can't engage deeply into the moment. And there's all sorts of reasons why that is, and I'm not being judgmental or critical, I'm just observing that's what happens. And uh, what we see is similar things for the disciples. When Jesus talks about this, it is deep stuff for them. Other people just, they'll shut it out completely, not just don't want to talk about it, but just deny it, just pretend it's not going to happen. And that's a very strange thing to see when people function that way. Again, it, it, there's stuff going on for them. And we see this sort of stuff with the apostles as well. Uh, some people, it's a, it's, it's a cruel thing to say, but they go, okay, so how's the inheritance going to be divided? 
you know, it goes straight to that. I'll, I'll say one thing outwardly, but I'll also start calculating what it means for me. And as I was reflecting on these passages, I couldn't help thinking there's a little bit of that with the apostles as well. They start, Jesus is talking about his death and they start talking about heaven and what we're going to get. It's a very strange dynamic. And I, 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 you know, we're not given lots of the psychology of what's going on here, but I'm just observing these things in the passages. And uh, there's, there's a very deep thing going on as they can't comprehend what Jesus is saying. Like, they don't know what to do with it. We have the advantage as, as the readers, you know, we're, we're given all sorts of insights as the readers of this story. And we know most of us know the end from the beginning of the story. And so we sort of put a whole lot of things in. But as we actually watch through this, uh, it, it's a wonderful thing to be able to stop and say, now, at that moment, what did they know? At that moment, what was going on as the story of Jesus proceeds? And I think we'll read with a deeper insight and perhaps a deeper sympathy for the strangeness of the way the apostles Uh, these disciples react not to say that what they say is good but at least we'll have a deeper understanding it it could have been me I'm not sure what I'd have done with it that would be not a bad outcome just for us to think about it so in Mark chapter 8, 9 and 10 he says I'm going to die and each time he gives a little more information and uh, builds up the story Uh, now it's important for us to realise this is not a sickness he's not declaring you know I've got the medical advice It's, it's a bad thing that, that's not what it is. This is an execution coming. An execution, and it's an intentional thing from Jesus. He is stepping into this life and result and events to come. He is making a choice to be there, to be that person. It's a known plan. Known, we're told in another passage, from all time. An extraordinary thing. That somehow this is in God's plan, this thing is going on, and that Jesus is stepping into it intentionally. And he's trying to help his disciples comprehend what's going on. Trying to help them. He has three private meetings with them. Each time in Marks 8, 9 and 10, these meetings are private. He's been out with the thousands, but he comes back with the disciples, this little group. A dozen or maybe a few more. There are closer women that used to be with him as well. We might have a group of 20 people perhaps. And he explains on each time, each occasion, he's going to die. So Mark chapter 1, he says, the Son of Man must suffer. Let me, he calls himself the Son of Man each time. It's a very common term for Jesus. It's a strange one, really. The Son of Man is this great, glorious, amazing figure in the book of Daniel. And he's the kind of person that only he gets to do the stuff with God. You know, he gets to present himself to God and is honoured, glorified by God. That's the Son of Man. It's an extraordinary passage in Daniel 7. And Jesus uses that term to refer to himself. He doesn't say, I'm going to. He says that elsewhere. But, but here he describes himself. Now, what he's trying to do is he's going to, trying to get the people to understand, these disciples, that this great and glorious one, which is him, is also the one that's going to die, which is him. And that's the strange thing for them. And that's why he doesn't just say, I'm going to die. He says, the son of man is going to die. Because he wants them to comprehend this, this great, glorious God that he is, is going to die. And that's why they can't cope with it, I think. That's why it's just too hard. So let me just read uh, these verses from Mark 8, then we'll read 9 and 10, and just see how the story builds up. He just adds a few more details each time. Mark 8 and 31. He then began to teach them, this is the, the disciples, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and after three days 
rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Well, what an extraordinary reaction. We'll come to that reaction shortly. But just notice the things he says. That the Son of Man must suffer. He'll be rejected by the leaders. He'll be killed. And after three days, rise. We've got little troubles with our tech tech yet again. But now the next one. On to chapter 9. This is what he says. Adds a couple of things in. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. So here we're told Jesus, the son of man, is going to be delivered. We're talking about Judas here. He's going to betray him. He's going to deliver him into the hands of these leaders who are going to kill him. But after three days, he will rise. And then in Mark chapter 10, he adds even more details. They were on their way up to Jerusalem. Now notice, if you've been listening carefully, the first one is up in the north. The second time is down on the east. And now he's heading to the centre of the country, to Jerusalem. So he's moving around and he teaches them, he teaches them, he teaches them the reality of this thing. They're still not getting it. As they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way and the disciples were astonished and those who followed were afraid. I think they're kind of introductory comments. We're about to see what they're astonished and afraid about. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and they will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. And so here we have not only the dynamic of being handed over by Judas to the leaders of the Jews, that they will condemn him, they will give him to the Gentiles, and they will torture him, mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And that's, of course, on the cross. In the end, we know that story. And then he will rise. So there's a couple of key themes that keep coming through, aren't there? He is going to die, and he is, it's going to be at their hands, and he's going to rise. But then he adds in the rest of the story, and he's wanting them to get what it's about. Now I want to look at the reactions, because this is very telling. New information, but the reactions, there are some similarities in them. So the first one is uh, where uh, Peter says to him, he took him aside and began to rebuke him. We don't want you to say this. You shouldn't say this. This is the wrong thing to say. It doesn't make sense. Stop it. I think something like that. Then listen to what happened. Jesus turned and looked at his disciples. This is not a private conversation between Jesus and Peter. It's in the company of these disciples. He saw the disciples and he rebuked Peter. You always know it's going to work badly if you start off. You know, and you rebuke Jesus. You just know that's not going to end well for Peter, don't you? And sure enough... Jesus now rebukes him. He says, get behind me, Satan. I can't imagine a sterner thing to have, have uh, be, be said to you from Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. He said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. I couldn't help but think back to the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness at the very start of his ministry. A kind of cleansing 
moment where of clarity for what his mission would be, that he would reject all things that are human concerns and just focus on God's concerns. And that's why it makes sense. In the desert, it was Satan tempting Jesus. And here it is, the words of Satan in Peter's mouth. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. What a rebuke. There is something very human about the other reactions of the apostles too. After the second time, Jesus says, this is Mark 9.33, they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? They kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called to the twelve. He said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and servant of all. Isn't that interesting where he gets... Do you know what that is? It's tech. It's tech morning. It's that thing is, is making a noise. Great, we've got tonal noises. Okay, great. When in doubt, turn it off. <laughs> okay. Tech morning. It's great. Um, so let's, let's refocus back here. We won't worry about that noise. Um, so what happens is Jesus just said, I'm going to die. And then they go on their walk. And what are they arguing? They're, they're having a fight. And they're embarrassed, of course. And what they're fighting about is, well, who's the greatest amongst us? Now, I don't know if the idea of him, the son of man language, has got... Oh, there's great things happening and they haven't heard the rest. I don't know, it's that the ante will rise and they go, oh, let's focus there. God is going to do something great, so we're going to get great stuff from him. And they start discussing who is the greatest. We then have the next section and a similar kind of idea in Mark 10. After he talks about the same thing, he's going to die. We then have this, I won't read it all, but James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come to him and say, teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask. What do you want? He said, let us sit one at your, your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. So for the third time, he talks about his death. And then for the third thing, they completely think about themselves and their own glory. It is an amazing development. What a strange thing. Discussing, as it were, the inheritance. So these uh, disciples have completely misunderstood what's going on. Now let's just uh, jump down and quickly see what Jesus' response is to this. The first passage, after he rebukes Peter, he says, you've got to take up your cross. You've got to follow me. He says, don't forfeit your soul. Don't misunderstand what life is about. It is about God and following Christ. In the second passage, Jesus' response is, he says, anyone who wants to be first must be the servant of all. And what he does is he gets a child and says, you're going to serve me like a child. Phew. Yes. Beautiful. Great. Great. (laughs) 
Okay, we're back. Second one. Second one, right? Second one. We can do it. Second one. Focus now deeply. The second one, he says, here's a child. This is not about greatness and glory and what you get. This is about humbly serving, serving each other. And in the third one, almost identical, he says, whoever wants to be the greatest must be the servant. And then he says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to be servant of all. His own example, a child and himself, he will be the example of how we're to live together. So when we think about the story of Jesus and the way of Jesus, we are to follow him. And then he says this uh, critical verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 45. He says, not only is he to be a servant, this Son of Man, this Jesus, but he comes that he might give his life as a ransom for all. And so he's now giving the interpretation right at the end, three times, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. It's an example, but it's also what you cannot do for yourself. You cannot ransom yourself to God. And so he says, this is what my life is being given for. I give it as a life, my life as a ransom for many, to bring people back to God. He is not only the great son of man, this great one who gets access to the Father and all glory given to him, but he's the one who will die in order to bring them to God and present them to God. It's a beautiful picture of the work of Christ for us. Christ chose to die. You can misunderstand what it's about. Lots of people do. Uh, it, it's, it, you hear people again and again, they have an interpretation of the death of Christ, but it's not Jesus' interpretation. What he wants us to know is that it is for us It is an example. We are to follow in his way. But it's also him dying for us in a way we could never do to bring us to God. These events are not random. He's not saying, oh, I've had the diagnosis. He's not saying, oh, stuff's looking really scary. It's a bit out of control. Who knows where it'll end up? That's not. He says exactly what's going to happen. Down to amazing detail. This is what's going to happen. And he's committed to it. It's a beautiful picture of what he's prepared to do for us. What I find really fascinating is what impact this has had on Peter. Uh, Decades later, he wrote the book of Peter, 1 Peter. And this is actually a key theme of his book. And he gets this idea that the, the way of Jesus is the cross, then the crown. It's suffering, then glory. And he structures his whole book, 1 Peter, around that theme. Just like it went for Jesus, so it goes for us. I was just reflecting this um, the last day or two on this. And thinking, you know, if you've never suffered anything for Jesus, it may be you're just not quite clear enough in your faith. If there's been no indignity, no shame, nothing like that to you, then just maybe you're not clear enough amongst your friends. I'm not saying it's going to happen all the time. In some places it does. It leads to appalling treatment when you say, I follow Christ. But there is a place for us to, to suck it up and stand up and say, I do trust in Christ. And his way was cross then crown. And that will be my way too. Let me uh, read to you how Peter puts it when he reflects on these things in 1 Peter chapter 2. He's just given the example of godly suffering. He says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. I can't help but thinking Jesus, uh, as he saw Jesus that night that Christ was killed. And he was standing at a fire and he was denying him. Do you remember the story that night? He was denying Jesus, but he was watching Jesus. He committed no sin. And no deceit was found in his mouth. 
Remember, he's been beaten, he's been mocked and spat upon. He's been tortured. And Peter's watching him. And he's lying about his relationship with Jesus. And Jesus is saying nothing wrong. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, this must have been hard to write, mustn't it? When they hurled their insults at him, I lied. (laughs) He doesn't say that. He talks about Jesus. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. What a beautiful faith Christ showed. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. So we go from example to the unique work of Christ. He bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What a beautiful picture of what Peter has learnt after the, getting it so, so wrong in the days of Jesus to get it so, so clear and to encourage us. Let me pray. Gracious Father, we commit ourselves to the Lord Jesus who has died and suffered, who knew he was going to die and went willingly for our sakes. We're just grateful. We pray, Father, we wouldn't misunderstand him and what he's about. We pray that we would grasp what it is for the great Son of Man to die on the cross and for him to rise and give us new life. Work it deep in our souls, dear Father, so that we would stand up for Christ. We would suffer whatever shame or embarrassment or awkwardness or even discrimination might come our way, that we might know the way of Jesus. Amen.